Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you alongside reporters to talk Arizona politics. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a political reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. This week, we're here to talk money in politics. I'm here with two of my colleagues who know most about this topic. I'm reporter Ryan Randazzo. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Money makes the world go round, especially during election season. Between dark money, super PACs, independent expenditures, Citizens United, the issue of money and ad spending in politics and elections can be super confusing. But it really affects us all. Right. So if you are buying, for example, a car from Jim Click, the auto dealer down in Tucson, you are also helping him finance the campaign against Kirsten Cinema and for Martha McSally. Um, he is just one of the many donors in state and out of state who are helping pay for the uh, campaign to influence you, the voter. So today we're going to explore the questions. Why are we seeing so much money being spent to influence your vote this cycle? Who are the people behind these efforts and what really do they want? There's a lot more money going into races increased, especially per race. So if you look at the Senate race that we're seeing unfold this year, for example, we're seeing significantly more money being spent in that compared to, say, the race two years ago or the race in 2012. Just to give you one sense of how different the, the scale can be, the at the same point in early September in 2012, outside groups in had invested about $18,000 supporting Jeff Flake after the Arizona primary. In 2016, in early September, outside groups had spent about $30,000 opposing Ann Kirkpatrick in the Arizona primary. This year, we've seen more than $2 million spent in the days after the primary in Arizona's Senate race, and we're just getting started. So that's a lot of outside money, um, especially from some of these mega donors. This would be the people like, you know, Jim Click, um, other very wealthy donors from both inside of Arizona and beyond. Why? I mean, what, what brought us here? In case 08205, Citizens United versus the FEC, Justice Kennedy has the opinion of the court. So as much as anything, this traces back to a Supreme Court case from 2010. Most people have heard the name Citizens United, but it wasn't just that case and it wasn't just that time. But essentially that helped set forth a whole new body of law and, and understanding about what is in bounds and permissible as it relates to campaign finances. We reject Citizens United's challenge to the disclaimer and disclosure provisions. Those mechanisms provide information to the electorate. The resulting transparency enables the electorate to make informed decisions and give proper weight to different speakers and different messages. And one of the big developments out of that case was the right for corporations, labor unions, and individuals to spend essentially unlimited money in political campaigns as long as they didn't coordinate with the campaigns themselves. So we've really kind of seen this geometric growth in giving in political uh, campaigns since that case and others. So one of the side effects seems to be that also that the political parties, when it comes to messaging and propping up candidates or, you know, helping reach voters, have less control over those messages and the messaging than, than they did from years past. Right. I mean, the parties have definitely taken a hit in this. They are less 
of a gatekeeper, as it were, in the direction of money and in politics. And uh, wealthy billionaires can sort of pick who they want to support. And, and we've seen it just in Arizona this year with Kelly Ward, her campaign really kind of being uh, helped out in large measure by the support of a couple of New York uh, billionaires. I spoke with uh, this expert on the phone. His name is Lawrence Norton. He studies money and politics at the Brennan Center for Justice in Washington, D.C. He basically explained that Arizona's competitive races and its status nationally as a potential battleground state is resulting in all of this high-dollar spending. So that combination of living in a post-Citizens United world where there's a lot of outside spending and having a, a competitive race that could potentially be key to um, which party controls the chamber. So what he's saying is Arizona's open U.S. Senate seat could help tip the balance of power in Congress. Not to mention, we also have a very hotly contested governor seat up for grabs. It doesn't surprise me that Arizona is seeing um, more, more big spending in this Senate race than it has in the past. And to be clear, we're not talking about dark money. Dark money groups are not required to disclose their donors. Uh, super PACs and other groups are. And sometimes that money is pretty clear in terms of coming from individuals. Sometimes the money comes from groups who may or may not have disclosed their, uh, their donors as well. But dark money and outside money are kind of two different things. One of the big spenders that everyone in Arizona at least is talking about is APS. And if you don't know APS, that's probably because your utility company is SRP or some other smaller um, company. Ryan, you've covered uh, this company and the utilities for many years here at the Arizona Republic. What's up with all their spending? Uh, well, APS, they're the biggest electric company in the state. Um, they are spending or have spent uh, about $11 million so far this year to fight a clean energy ballot initiative that voters will see uh, in November. And they've also set aside about $3 million for another campaign um, to help uh, the the people running for the Corporation Commission. Those are the folks that set the rates and policies for companies like APS. Why are they spending so much? Well, the Clean Energy Initiative, uh, Prop 127, would require that half of the electricity in the state come from renewables like solar and wind. Right now, there's a mandate that only 15% come from those sources by 2025. Uh, it's being pushed by Tom Steyer, a billionaire activist, um, and his group called NextGen. Um, and it would change the state constitution to require this renewable energy, whereas right now those policies are set by corporation commissioners. And it could cost the utilities a lot of money if they had to invest all of this uh, cash into solar and renewables to, to meet the mandate. Um, normally, they negotiate those things with the corporation commissioners or the utility regulators. There'd be no more negotiating because it would be set in the state constitution. So essentially, they are... I mean, the big takeaway, I think, for probably consumers, they're trying to protect their bottom line, potentially. They are. They're trying to protect their profits and also uh, the rates that they uh, charge to customers. When we talked to Tom in a previous episode right here in uh, the Arizona Republic's newsroom, he made it very clear that he did not agree with APS. And if I hear a private company explaining that doesn't make me the most money, I have exactly zero sympathy for that. The point of a public utility is to serve the people of Arizona, period. So Steyer's group has spent almost $9 million pushing that ballot measure. Uh, they successfully defeated challenges from APS to keep it off the ballot. Um, and they're likely to spend more in advertising as election day nears. 
So in response, APS has spent about $11 million of its own. Um, that's a fraction of what it would cost them uh, if this thing passes and they have to build all these renewable energy plants. Um, and even worse for them is they could be forced to buy their power from uh, private uh, builders who, who go out and build a solar plant and that's how they would meet the mandate and then they would not get to put that into their own rates that they charge customers and that wouldn't help their profitability. Uh, it's worth noting that Tucson Electric Power and UNS Energy, that's a subsidiary of uh, Tucson Electric in Mojave County, they've both formed opposition groups and uh, they plan on spending some money as well in, in this. And Salt River Project just approved giving a token amount of money just to show that that utility does not approve of this measure either. SRP would not be affected by it directly because they are not regulated by the Corporation Commission, but they did want to uh, note their opposition. So separately, separately from that, APS has about $3 million set aside in a separate campaign where they will influence the Corporation Commission elections. The Corporation Commission is five statewide elected officials who set the rates for utilities like APS. Two of those seats are on the ballot this year. APS has participated in these races before. It's likely they're going to support Republicans, but they haven't really come out yet and said who they like for those two seats that are open this year. So what you have is the biggest utilities in the state here spending quite a bit of money to influence um, how people vote on, on issues that are going to affect their profitability and also how much folks pay on their monthly electric bill. And just to be super clear, like this is their right. I mean, they absolutely can spend as much as they want to spend um, to influence uh, your vote. Um, people have been doing this for many years from all of the different parties. And uh, there's really nothing that can prevent them from doing this. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, and if they wanted to, they could do it anonymously and, and contribute uh, through dark money groups where you wouldn't know who was spending. Uh, APS in particular has decided that they uh, are going to get involved in these elections. They didn't used to, um, but that, that changed uh, sometime around the 2013-2014 timeframe. Now they've decided they are going to get involved in these elections because they do affect the company and their customers and their shareholders, but they're going to disclose what they're spending. So how does APS's election spending this year compared to that of other years? I know you talked a little bit about potential activity through 501c4s, which is the tax code uh, for some of these dark money groups. We don't know for certain that they played, but um, they haven't disputed that they did uh, play in uh, dark money efforts uh, in previous years. But very generally speaking, how, how does this year's spending compare to years past? Well, just looking at the Corporation Commission spending, if they do spend all $3 million, that actually would be uh, maybe a little less than what they did in 2016. But if you go back um, to prior to 2014 or even all the way back to 2010, a million dollars would be eye-popping in a Corporation Commission race. So uh, they're not increasing their spending over the last cycle, but this is definitely a new phenomenon to have millions of dollars poured into these down-ballot uh, uh, races. And I think this is one of the things that we've seen, certainly in the federal races as well, that the amount of money spent can move around a little bit, but the overall trajectory is pretty clear. The, the number of competitive races can vary from cycle to cycle, but the basic uh, cost of what it, it takes to compete in a house race is, is different and greater now than it was uh, in uh, pre-Citizens United. Um, and when you look at these things, uh, it's not just those federal races or even the CorpCom races that are statewide. 
it's we've also seen a lot of the down ballot races uh, affected by this as well. In early September, Yvonne and I interviewed two of the big names in the fight about election spending. On one side, there's Terry Goddard, the former Attorney General of Arizona, who is adamantly against election spending. On the other is Sean Noble, who's worked with the Koch brothers and thinks election spending is an American right. They had an interesting conversation and each made some great points worth sharing. Well, let's look at the numbers. I mean, when Citizen United hit, the cost of running for office in Arizona went up by five times. I was in the middle of it. I had to live that. And it was a avalanche of increased spending. And for people like Goddard, they feel like this ruling gave corporations the power over the entire state government. Uh, he thinks that's where we are today. On the other side of it, we've certainly heard from people like Sean Noble, who has worked with the Coke Network in uh, pushing out their messaging uh, for more conservative causes, saying that actually we think this is uh, this is good. This reflects greater engagement in politics and more voices being heard. Very few publicly traded companies are getting involved in C4 activity um, that's not disclosed, uh, in part because they feel like they have issues with their shareholders. What he's essentially getting at is that most companies don't want to get involved in politics because of their shareholders. And you have seen at the same time some wealthy business owners and, and investors who are happy to get involved in their own name. And so the concern is not so much about dark money, it's about uh, these folks who are coming in with giant cash megaphones. So this is primarily driven by individuals, uh, wealthy individuals who have a First Amendment right to express their political views uh, through political spending. The debate over money, especially outside money, is really not going to end anytime soon. I mean, consider its effect on the race for the Arizona governor. Okay, so you've covered Governor Ducey before. Um, what is the effect of money in that race? So Ducey, who is a Republican, is up for re-election. So given the makeup of um, the state's electorate, which is still, um, Republicans still uh, dominate, he is favored to win his re-election bid. The Cook uh, Political Report, which is a very influential and nonpartisan group that rates races across the country, rates this race as likely Republican. So that means it's probably not considered competitive at this point, but it has the potential to, to turn at any moment to really become engaged. What makes this year's uh, election different is that you have a very um, charismatic, strong candidate in Democrat David Garcia. He is really giving Ducey um, a run for his money, whether you agree with him or not, on the education issue and some of these other kind of hot button issues um, that are really resonating with, with voters. We're seeing a lot of money that's being spent to beat up Garcia, and much of that money, millions and millions and millions of dollars, is coming from the Republican Governors Association's Arizona PAC. Um, the RGA works to elect Republican governors, and they have spent or reserved about $9 million, probably more since their latest filings, um, to help get Ducey reelected. And keep in mind, like, this is just an enormous amount of money. We are just getting started um, with the general election. And so that signals to many, many people that Republicans are a little nervous about this seat, whether it's deemed toss-up or not. Right. So just to put the money in context here, in 2014, in the same race, 
the RGA spent a little over five million dollars for the entire election cycle. Right now, we're sitting on you know just a few weeks after the primary. They've already spent nine million. So who is this group, and what do they want? So they are a group that is dedicated to advancing um, the agendas of Republican governors and helping elect Republican governors, not just here, but um, across the United States. Um, We have not been able to get a sense of who actually has contributed in recent years to their PAC because of the way that they are formed, PAC meaning their political action committee. Um, We do know that they are very heavily Um, supported financially, uh, the association at least, and this is not the political arm of them, but they are very heavily um, supported by large corporations, the pharmaceutical industry, Coca-Cola, Reynolds American, which um, as we all know is uh, linked to the tobacco industry, home builders, Coke Industries, we're talking about uh, the Coke Coke Brothers, Um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, I'm just looking at their contributor list, Uh, for the Republican Governors Association from 2012. You can look this up for yourself if you want to learn more about them on Open Secrets. So these are the types of corporate entities that are behind uh, this association and presumably the people who they are working to elect. In this cycle, the political arm of this group is attacking David Garcia to kind of cast him as a left-wing, unelectable progressive who wants open borders, who uh, will not protect your family. And you know, it just begs the question, why are they spending this much money if this if this race is really in the bag for Doug Ducey? It's, you know, probably because they think that they could leave that they could lose um a seat that is very um important for them. This is a governor and do you know, in Ducey they have a, a very business minded governor who tries to advance agenda items that he deems are pro growth and little regulation and things that would be favorable um, to their bottom lines. So as we mentioned earlier, the Senate race is pretty competitive and the spending is high and going even higher as we get deeper into the election cycle. But there are also races in the House of Representatives and elsewhere on the ballot to think about as well. So let's talk a bit about some of the people who are spending and, uh, and making these sums so large. Um, Ryan, give us a sense of uh, somebody who's who's one of the big donors in all this. Well, one is Randy Kendrick, the wife of Diamondbacks owner Ken Kendrick. She's very politically active and supports conservative causes. In the 2016 election, she funded a group to try to block President Donald Trump from uh, winning that election. Yeah, we also have Services Group of America. This is a little talked about, but pretty po- uh, politically powerful um, company here in in uh, Arizona and in Republican circles across the U.S. It's involved in food services distribution. It's donated at least seventy five thousand dollars to a group to help elect McSally. So I alluded to uh, some folks at the top. I will go into it a little bit more here. You know, we have also Jim Click, who's a, I don't know if he's a household name, but we certainly see his name on a lot of cars in Arizona. He's spent at least a hundred thousand dollars to help. Martha McSally in the Senate race uh, so far this year, and and the group that he's affiliated with this cycle has pledged to spend another $5 million this fall. I'm sure he'll have a piece of that. Just to give you a sense of some of the others who are involved in this, Robert and Diana Mercer, these are uh, the um, billionaire couple from uh, Long Island, 
they are financial supporters of Breitbart and uh, were central in some ways to uh, Donald Trump's successful 2016 campaign. They were also, um, once again, very helpful to Kelly Ward's efforts in her Senate primary race. They gave her uh, a super PAC supportive of her uh, at least $800,000 this cycle. And Andrew Beal, a name who most of us probably don't know, uh, he's well known in poker circles. He's uh, one of the best poker players in history. He's also a Texas banker and a Donald Trump economic advisor. He gave Kelly Ward's super PAC $500,000. You know, between those two gifts, you had really sort of the bulk of the Kelly Ward super PAC. Um, and this was supplanting really the campaign uh, of individual donors. It's worth noting that we are not just seeing Republicans playing in big ways. We're also seeing a lot of Democrats and their allies spending big time. Right. So we've got um, on the left, for example, George Soros's uh, daughter is one of the prominent donors who shows up uh, helping a super PAC supportive of Kirsten Cinema in the name of Planned Parenthood, for example. And George Soros himself has been giving to uh, a number of different uh, causes over the years and will be active here as well. So it's just an example, really, of how uh, you have a lot of very wealthy um, donors who pick their causes in this race in particular, this cycle. Arizona is one of those hot races. So people, whether they're coming from California or New York or Texas or somewhere else, they, they find their dollars find their way to Arizona. Part of the freakout, too, I think, from Republicans is they're seeing all of the money that Tom Steyer, uh, the California um, activist, uh, is is spending here in Arizona. There, you know, people have been on phone calls where allegedly it was said he he might spend as much as twenty five million dollars in Arizona. So that I think is also partly why we are seeing such high level uh, levels of of spending happening here. And also, it should be noted that. You know, this is what it looks like to be a competitive state. This is what it looks like for uh, for for a state to be deemed battleground status, top tier. This is what it looks like to have Democrats and Republicans paying attention to you. It means money. It means infrastructure. It means investing in all of the things that help lay the groundwork, not just for this cycle, but for cycles to come. I think what everyday voters and people who don't live inside of, you know, the bubble that is political action committees and Citizens United and the political parties, what it means to everyday voters is that these are the people and these are the entities and the groups who have, in some instances, pretty much unlimited amounts of money to influence the way that you vote. These are the people who are going to be sending you mailers, advertising nonstop on um, the internet, on your Facebook feed, on Instagram, Pandora. Um, you're going to be seeing more TV ads are going to be completely unavoidable. And whether consciously or subconsciously, when you decide to connect that arrow, when you go into the voting booth to vote, all of these issues in some way will have an impact on the way you vote. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. I hope you found this interesting, and I hope you'll join us next week. If you have any questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter, at Yvonne Winget. You can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. I'm at Utility Reporter. 
Also, you might have noticed we've been experimenting a little bit with our show. We want to make a show that you love and want to share, so we've created a survey where you can help us do just that. It's only 10 questions, and it should take less than three minutes for you to fill out. It'll help us out a lot. Just click the notes of this episode. You can find new episodes of The Gaggle every Wednesday. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review. It helps others find the show. This episode was edited and produced by Lauren Aguirre, Taylor Seeley, Tia Price, and Kayla White. Thanks again, and see you next week.